Hey, everybody, if you have watched The Millennial Farmer, then you know I've got a pretty righteous Thunder Creek fuel trailer out here. Thunder Creek fuel trailers are built by farmers for American farmers. Right now, a lot of farmers are taking home fully loaded Thunder Creek trailers that are in stock near you with an average of only $1,300 down. Financing is, of course, subject to approval. You can check out thundercreek.com for product info, some stories from the field, and other great deals. That's thundercreek.com. As farmers, we know every single detail that goes into our fields, and that should include the brand of tile buried beneath the crops. As such an important investment, I only trust ADS for their quality, their proven performance, and commitment to sustainability. In fact, ADS is now the second largest recycler in North America. You need a koozie? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. We won't keep it. We won't keep my hand that long. But I don't have one of those. And I was Bush Light. Do you have the same affinity for Bush Light in Minnesota that they have in Iowa? I don't think it's quite as strong. Seems seems stronger in Iowa. Yep. For Bush Light. Yeah. I mean, it's like they they have tattoos of Bush Light down there. <laughs> where where are you at right now? Are you in are you in Sioux Falls? No, I'm in St. Joe, Michigan. Um, so I, uh, my in-laws have a little place over here off the beach. And so uh, I brought, we had been pretty much holed up at the farm for the last couple months. And so uh, we just came over yesterday morning and let the kids go down to the beach. So I'm sitting in a little condo, kind of in a little old town here in St. Joe off the, off the lake here. So where is home for you? Is home in Michigan? No, nope, home is Northern Illinois. So uh, Kane County, just east of DeKalb. So we know... Oh. See DeKalb uh, from DeKalb Corn. I'm about oh about ten miles east of DeKalb. It's okay, kind of, uh, right on that edge of like the Chicago suburbs and where the country starts. That's yep. where my family. I got a hundred and hundred and five year old family farm. Okay, so that I bought the uh, the previous generation out in 2016. Just a small. It was just a small farm, but then we've we've added some acres. So that's the area where the corn doesn't grow very well. I think, isn't it? Yeah. This is where they call the part-time farmers. You, you put it in, you go boating for the summer, you come back and you harvest 250. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so my neighbors are like Steve Pitstick. Uh, he, he's down the road for me. Uh, I'm good friends with his brother, Mike Pitstick, Dale, all those guys. So the Pitsticks are all kind of basically about four or five miles down the road for me. Okay. Are those the guys that do all the like corn competition war things? No, Steve, no. if I have this right, Steve Steve was the the company or in on the company that developed the like the Bluetooth puck, right? That got sold to climate? Yeah, the 360. I think they called it three uh, yield three sixty or something like yep. that. I sold it to climate. He was just like a farmer advisor. He's kind of Twitter famous. You know, yeah, he's, he's Twitter he was one of the one of the original social farmers. Yeah, he was one of the OGs of farmer Twitter. Farmer Twitter. <clears throat> now he's just old, as I say. <laughs> In the beginning, did everyone get beat up on Farmer Twitter? <laughs> like they do now. No, you you have to you have to have once you get a certain following, you get beat up. I think that there's a uh, 
prerequisite. You know, nobody cares about my 71 followers or whatever it is. <laughs> you know, so once you get famous, you get beat up on Twitter all the time. Okay, that's where the beating starts. So you can actually enjoy Twitter? Um, well, I shouldn't say enjoy it uh, completely, but yeah, I mean, I definitely don't get any, uh, I don't get any attention, good or bad. Sometimes that is a good thing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, on Twitter for sure it is. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't made the Instagram uh, jump. I mean, I, I don't have a following anyways. I think I have a thousand followers, but I think my Instagram's got like 71. I checked it right before I got on here. I was like 71. I think half of them are family. So, yeah. You could I, hit 100 I, by the end of the year, huh? Half of them are pity, uh, are, are pity follows, I think. You know, yeah, <laughs> Tony Fast and uh, yeah, I forget. Yeah, my wife just whispered, goes, uh, yeah, your six-year-old has 4,000 followers. <laughs> okay. And she's got about 300 free bows, I guess, from when she used to model bows or something. So, For Jojo Siwa? <laughs> yeah, who knows? I don't know. Enter them in a contest, they win, they get free bows, take pictures of bows, get followers. Uh, you know. Really? Oh, yeah. I had no idea this was a thing. Oh, I think she had 5,000 followers. My oldest, she's six now. By the time she was two, I think she had like 5,000 followers. What? Oh, yeah. I swear. So, do a podcast with my wife about that one. Yeah. It's a whole so how, thing. Did, how did that all start? It was literally, um, she entered, there was some contest on Instagram where she a entered brand rep. a brand rep. There was a brand rep contest. She's like whispering yeah, in my ear. Contest. For a bow brand? She brand yeah. reps for. Um, she brand reps for a bunch. For but the, I'm going to tell the story the way I want to tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless of accuracy, um, <laughs> I believe it started with some type of competition. Like, send your kid in a picture of your kid, and if we pick her, she can be our brand rep for the next three months or six months. And the very first time she sent a picture in of our oldest. Um, they picked her and so she got a bow and then she brand ripped this you know and most of it's like you know family run businesses that are, yeah it's all small shop entrepreneurs and that kind of stuff so she ended up like within the next nine months repping for like 25 different companies or something and and then all the other parents and moms that follow with other two and three year old kids that want bows and stuff they started following the brand reps and Literally in the like six, nine months, she had like five thousand followers. That's insane. Like, That's crazy. I did not know that was a thing. Are these? Like, are, are you believing this? Um, I mean, how many like middle-aged men are following this? And she's like, no, nah, it's all it's all moms and other kids. So yeah. I would think, yeah. So are these compound bows or recurve? <laughs> yeah, exactly, compounds only. You know. <laughs> but you know, That's... when you're two, you can't pull it back too hard. So. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, so that was – and then we had three more kids, and we don't have any time to send pictures anywhere. So, unfortunately, the next three aren't repping for anybody because we don't have any time for them. No. <laughs> well, I know how that to, goes. Welcome to spread the spread the love amongst multiple children. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no single child syndrome anymore. Yep. Yes. We can relate to that. <laughs> Definitely. I'm just – I could tell by your laugh earlier, I'm excited that another grown man knows who JoJo Siwa is. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the whole dance mom thing when uh, the first one came about, you know, that was, I said, I t this was a good example of what not to be um, as, as a parent of a child. 
I don't think Zach knows what Dance Moms is. Yeah, I don't know what that is. (laughs) That's embarrassing, huh, Lucas? (laughs) (laughs) I I think one of us is lying. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know what I'm going to check out on Google tonight. How old is your oldest? (laughs) She's six now. Six. And you have three? Yeah, a six-year-old girl, Hadley, uh, a three-year-old boy, Sawyer, and then twin 16-month-old identical girls, Harlow and Delaney. Holy crap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have four under the age of six? Mm-hmm. Six and under, yeah. We had four four and under, or five and under, because she had just turned five when they were... Uh, she no, four. she was four. She was four. Sawyer was two, and wow. the, or Sawyer was one, and the, the babies were born in March last year. That gives me anxiety just thinking about that. <laughs> yes. And I did daycare for ten years. So <laughs> they, they, they say the uh, they say the first year with twins is the Vegas year, uh, because once it's done, you never talk about it again. You, know? <laughs> you don't even remember it. It's what just happens weird. that first year, and the arguments, and the yelling, and the screaming, and the sleepless nights. You just uh, you can just kind of write it off, and you move forward. <laughs> Do you want us just to keep you here for a few hours and make sure this is a really long podcast? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, we left the two little ones at home with grand, uh, grandma and grandpa, and then we, uh, the two big ones came here for the beach. And so they've spent, I don't even know, five, six hours at the beach today. So they just had some mac and cheese, and they'll be sleeping in five minutes. So How cold is the water there in that lake? Well, I mean, obviously, it's it it follows the you know the the temperature of the summer, but now that it's August, it's actually pretty darn warm. So you know, it's gorgeous now. You get in the water and you could just sit there. It's actually you're on the Great Lake, what, right? Yeah, 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 Lake Michigan on the east side, right? Okay. You know, over Michigan. Yeah. And the beaches are real nice. It's nice sand. Um, you know, when you get in, it's a little cool, but I mean, it's not as cold as being up in Bemidji or Cass Lake or that. You know, that's cold water. So it gets a little warmer in that. Yeah, Superior. Well, we were there in August, I don't know, three years ago. And yeah, two or three. It was too cold to get in past your knees, I think. I mean, well, it was. Yeah, well, Superior's far, quite a bit far north, right? We're on the south end of Michigan. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, I think Su- Superior's the biggest one, too, isn't it? And it's deep. Yeah, for I sure. I think that one stays fairly, I think it stays fairly consistent. But people that live on it are yelling at me right now because I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Yeah, we need our we need to bring our yeah. fact checkers back. We need a grandstander that can sit over there and eat Jimmy John's. <laughs> our last podcast, we had people watch just listening in the room down here with us, and we had them fact checking, which was we actually, actually had an audience. Yes, yeah. it was, but it was handy. <laughs> the one the one guy was trying to eat potato chips without anybody noticing, really yeah. slowly, <laughs> <laughs> ten feet away while we're recording a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I did spend the last three hours listening to the last couple podcasts, so I, I think I did hear some of that. So we destroyed your vacation. Yep, I was doing a little sleuthing with you guys, which Randy, I did have a, you, you, uh, your Instagram has lots of great pictures, but somehow you are able to make every selfie look like you're surprised by the fact that you're taking your own picture. Still, it is. Yeah, that's a thing. Oh, like you have a surprise look on your face. I, I am like, I'm taking a, a picture. selfie. Yeah. No. And you're surprised by it. <laughs> really happening? Yeah. I've never noticed that. What? No, I'm going to have to check. I know I'm going to look right now because I don't yeah. pay attention to Instagram ever. So, yeah. No, just a quick little vacation. I mean, it was a working kind of vacation um, for me, but I got to join them for uh, some time in the last two days, which was nice. Now, do you have kids? We do. We have uh, three 
four, really. Uh, we have a, uh, how old is Isla? Sure. Five. Five, eight, eight and, and 10. 10. And then our eight, well, almost 19 year old niece has lived with us for the past five years. So yeah, the, we have the four. I've got two boys, 11 and nine. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. So if you hear a lot of background noise, it's them running upstairs, all of them. Yes, there's a herd of elephants upstairs. Yep. <laughs> They're all together. All right, we better, we better introduce who we have here. So right. we're talking today with Lucas Strum. Strum, Strom? How do you say Strom. it? Strom. Strom. It's, uh, it's Swedish, actually. It's Swedish, yes. Like I knew that. Stromboli. Yeah. Well, oh, man, that's not Swedish. Delicious. No, it's not. <laughs> it's definitely not Swedish, but it is delicious. No. Lucas is the... Uh, like strong meatballs. <laughs> Correct me if I say this wrong, but you are the GM of Crop and Health Insurance at FBN. Is that right? That is correct. Yep. I'm the, uh, the GM of both the insurance businesses we have at FBN. So that's so correct. Tell, tell me how that got started with, you know, what, what brought insurance to FBN? Because that was not originally part of the plan, correct? Well, no, I mean, most people kind of get uh, FBN wrong in the fact that they they believed us to be kind of just an analytics company. Uh, but ultimately, I mean, I've been with us for almost five years now. Actually, it's, it'll be five years next month. And, you know, when I joined, I think we maybe had 20 or 25, uh, maybe 30 uh, employees. And, you know, I actually signed up as a member uh, before I, I joined uh, as an employee. Right. So I actually, I was farming my family farm and I signed up as a member. Amol, the CEO, the co-founder actually signed me up and, you know, he was giving me the pitch and I said, Hey, I'm going to sign up, but I'm actually more interested in the business model. Um, and so I chatted with him for a long time and it was always about how do you create value for farmers? You know, how do you create a company that helps the farmers leverage each other so they can negotiate that so they can leverage their buying power, their selling power with, uh, against all these large companies, right? Because every farmer kind of has to negotiate against like a multi-billion dollar company. So the concept of how can we help farmers, um, but we knew we wanted to be a modern company rooted in, in a technology and a data analytics type of platform, right? Without having data, without having insight, you can't help leverage uh, that uh that power effectively. So ultimately um, I joined after I signed up, I ended up joining them about five years ago. So we did start with the analytics. We started with obviously price transparency. And then we created kind of that, you know, like the Amazon of ag for direct and chem where you can go in there and everyone pays the same price. It's kind of fair to everyone. Uh, and then uh, a couple of years ago and my role in my t original title is like VP of business development. And so you know, I, I was a part of rolling out some of the other businesses, but about two and a half years ago, we started looking at what other things that uh, farmers ask us for, or where do we think we can help farmers? Now, I spent 15, the first 15 years of my career with health, in healthcare. So I actually did a couple of uh, healthcare companies. Uh, and so I, most of my background, other than, you know, farming on, my, on the weekend, was spent in healthcare. And I knew that farmers basically on average, you know, a farm family of four or five will spend $30,000, $35,000 a year on healthcare because of the way our system works. So I always knew that was interesting to me. Uh, and I wanted to see if we could help out with that. Um, 
now I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit more about how we how we did that but ultimately you know we spent about a year year and a half trying to figure out how we could help can we help some farmers can we help all farmers how can we help a little bit whether it's information education or access to you know low rates through some type of carrier uh, and so we ended up launching uh, FBN Health uh, back in, I think it was November of 18, so about uh, almost two years ago now. Uh, and so, so the decision to launch uh, healthcare was uh, slightly different than crop insurance. Crop insurance is, uh, is more germane to exactly what we do at FBN, right? Uh, more traditional kind of a service for a farmer. Anyone has a crop insurance agent, every farmer does it, you know, 90 call it 97, 98% of all farmers buy some level of uh, crop insurance. So it's, it's one of the most uh, basic things that farmers do uh, to, to manage risk. We also thought that that industry has had a lack of innovation, number one, because of the government subsidies, but also because it was, um, there wasn't a lot of change in the system. There was new products and new things like this and that. But of all the businesses we do at FBN, FBN crop insurance is one of them that can be driven by data more than anything. What you shouldn't do when you're making an insurance decision is be emotional about it. You know, one of the thing, one of the first uh, farmer discussions I ever had heard one of our agents uh, have, they were talking about PRF, right? Pasture, rangeland, and forage. And, it, and it's basically a drought or a precipitation insurance and it's heavily subsidized by the government. And it makes a lot of sense to buy it for anyone that's got rangeland. And they had a conversation with the farmer and the farmer says, this makes a lot of sense. I should do it. But I think this year we're going to get plenty of rain. So I'm not going to do it this year, but come back to me next year. Cause I think that year will be different. And I don't know if it was a farmer almanac or, or what it was, but the person said, I think we'll get plenty of rain this year. So who I'm good. Would, who in their right mind would feel confident on gambling on that? You don't know many farmers. Do you? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, farmers are gamblers. It, 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 there's a part of every one of us that's a, a bit of a gambler. This is not where you should gamble. Um, and so I just found it interesting that if you think about how actuarial science works, if you think about rating structures, if you think about how the subsidies work, different levels, you got you know all types of different margin protection, revenue protections, supplementals, private products, parametric insurance. There are so many options out there um, that I, we fully believe that not only data, but software needs to support decision-making in crop insurance. And that's what we're doing. Uh, and I think you'll, it might be the slow burn, but over the next couple of years, you'll see a major difference in how farmers could make decisions on crop insurance. So and I so that's, that's why we launched. So the original question was insurance. Why? Uh, because number number one, the, both health insurance and crop insurance are central to risk management and cost for farmers. Um, you know, on a yearly basis, if you're talking about running your family business and what profitability looks like, those are two huge issues. And quite honestly, uh, both of those were in the top, you know, five or six. Uh, when we asked farmers, what can we help you with? Those were some of the answers that were given all the time. So that's why we launched the insurance arm of FBN. So when you talk crop insurance, I, I might be way off on this, but you're so you're uh, you're basically an agent for an underwriter, or uh, yes, well we are an agency. Uh, okay, we are licensed in twenty five ish states. So uh, so as an so as an agency, you 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 don't really offer anything more than another agency. You you're just 
it's more than less the service you you can no, put actually, together better things to offer since there is so many or, or smarter things I should say. no it's a great question because the one thing that drives me nuts about crop insurance is everyone says well it's all the same right i mean that's the the number one thing you get is well, it's all the same my guy can my guy can do the same thing for you <clears throat> right and i know i know and, firsthand yeah. that that certain agencies can provide a lot more you know they all yeah. have the same tools in the tool belt they just don't know how know how to use them correctly or or offer the correct things i should say maybe yeah and you're half right there so you're right if you're talking about the government program right the mpci the federal program through rma all those are off the shelf offerings and now it's a matter of who can analyze and, and provide the better recommendations so if you just left it there, a good agent will run through all the different options for you and, and really work on, well, what is SCO? Does whole farm work for you because you have livestock or not? Whatever it is, you can, you can have a different level of service if the products were all the same. Now, you take it a step farther and say, now FBN has our own private products and we offer oh. captives and we offer parametric insurance. So, so FBN is actually privately offering the insurance yeah well we do it through our uh aip partner okay uh, so, we, so to your question about the the carriers the under the aips the authorized insurance providers for the rma program there's 15 of them we're partners with five of them right now um and through them uh we've created our own private products and and they they get the underwriting treaties and, and administer the bills and the collections and all that kind of stuff. But we came up with the actuarial science and the rating methodology to actually provide our own supplemental private products. And okay. then we work, then you can work in the private space for parametric insurance, which is completely outside the federal government, the AIPs, you can go out and get weather insurance, right? You can get insurance that is just precipitation or heat index days or that kind of stuff. And then we also have the ability to provide captives. So there are some farmers in some situations where some of the risks that you've kept in with, within the organization, you create your own insurance captive, right? You actually create your own insurance company, you pay into it, and then you can decide to claim against yourself or not. And because you pay into it, you can build up reserves and then you can use those reserves to reinvest into the operation in different ways. That's a much more multi-year conversation. It's much more for, for farms that are set up uh, from a, uh, an asset standpoint that they can do that. Uh, but if you think about just the government programs, if you think about the private products, and I'm not talking about just a hail and wind type of private products that they all own, but we have our own supplemental product. We, have our, uh, we launched in pilot form last uh, winter and then you have captive and other parametrics. I think our agents uh, can have more tools available to them. But then what really matters is just being analytical about it, having the right type of decision matrix tools where you can go and calculate all the different scenarios and that kind of stuff. So when you so get it's into like a, it. It's similar to like group healthcare insurance is kind of what you're saying, right? Because when you're saying that you have the money to like reinvest, say you have a year where you don't have a huge payout, you can then reinvest that money and have potentially, you can cover more than next year? Or? Well, you, you, if you're paying, and you're, I think your questions are on the captives. If, if you don't have any claims against yourself for three or four years, then you've built up a reserve in your own insurance company. It's its own entity, even though the ownership is still 
you know, you or your right. family. Right, right, right. So there's definitely, and again, I'm not an accountant and I'm not the one who sells the captive insurance products, but there's definitely some advantages uh, to doing that. And that's usually done in a situation where, and you can even bring in risks like, you know, key employee loss risk, because there's a risk to a farm operation if a key employee, a farm manager or something, or, or you know, the main farmer uh, gets injured or, or God forbid, passes away or something like that. If you lose a key employee, there's actually insurance you can, you can, you can ri qualify risk for it and put that into it. So captives is very unique. It doesn't work, probably only works for a very small percentage, but we have some large farms in our, uh, in our organization, you know, as members that, uh, that, that sometimes makes sense for. So you guys are not just selling federal crop insurance. You actually have private products available as well. And yeah. for the people who don't know, the private products are, would be like, a, that's a, that's an insurance, a crop insurance or a farm insurance of some sort that's not federally subsidized and, and the government's not standing behind that. That is a private, that would be Farmers Business Network standing behind that, correct? Yeah, or one of our insurance carrier partners with some reinsurance behind it. I mean, that that's a big space where there's reinsurers and insurance carriers that carry that risk, whether it's us or one of our partners. But your key point was it's not a federal program where it's regulated by price. It's not price regulated and there's not subsidies. So can you explain to everybody what is federally regulated and what isn't in a nutshell? Yeah, and in, in a nutshell, so the RMA uh, is a, uh, a division of the USDA. And so it's part of the Farm Bill program that uh, allows a, a certain amount of taxpayer money to go in to help subsidize the federal crop insurance program. And, and the reason why you do that is because farmers can control a lot, but there's also a lot we don't control, right? Uh, most businesses out there, whether they're you know, um, you know, selling widgets or manufacturing cars or whatever it may be, don't have the type of risk like we do as farmers uh, around weather and uh, pests and uh, you know, global markets. So uh, there's a couple of, I mean, there's a long list of different types of programs under the federal program. But the, the vast majority of your farmers buy what they call revenue protection. Uh, and that is a, that is a, uh, a formula based on basically pr price changes and yields. So if your yield uh, is below average, you know, and right now we, we had that big, uh, what was it, the, the derecha, the windstorm in Iowa that just leveled a lot of corn. Oh, yep. Right? So they just went from having record yields to there's going to be some people out there in, in real trouble, right? So what you're doing is saying, what did I yield compared to what I normally yield, uh, you know, what they call an approved average production history. And then how does that price look? Our price this year was 388 in February for corn. The national corn price on the board was 388 for February. And now what was today's price today, Randy, Zach? I don't know. It was like the futures were like 330 or something. Yeah, yeah way down there. Right. So we're down, call it 50, 55, 60 cents. So, you know, that price going down hurts a lot. Our revenue protection coverage allows the farmers to recoup some of that through an insurance program. So revenue production or revenue protection is the main one. Then there's also yield protection. There's some margin protections. There's some whole farm coverages. There's all kinds of optionality in there, but that's ultimately what it is. The federal government subsidy ranges from the 40 some low 40s to the kind of the, the mid 60s percent but if you generally think about it it's a 10 billion dollar program 
there's $10 billion worth of premium pretty much year in and year out, you know, give or take, depending on how you, you know, look at it, but it's about 10 billion. And I'm just using general numbers. About half of that is subsidized from the U.S. taxpayer and then half of it's paid in by the farmer into the program. And then if you figure the, figure the average loss ratio is 70%, that means, you know, 70 cents on the dollar is paid out in claims almost, you know, kind of every year. The last year the federal program had a, I think a, a loss overall nationally was 2012 during the drought of 2012. There were, that meant there was more than $12 billion or $10 billion worth of losses um, in crop in 2012. So the, so the federal, did I, did I catch that right? So there's only been one year where the, where the, the government lost money on this insurance? No, that, I'm, that was only um, in the last 10 years. That was the last, that was the last year nationally there was a loss. I don't even think last year, uh, and I might be wrong here, but I don't think last year was even a loss. And that was with 20 mil, almost 20 million acres of prevent plants um, because the prevent plant pays out at like 55%. Uh, so the payouts were a little bit lighter than, than, you know, right. Okay. So that's an insane statistic. I I didn't, I didn't know that. I I assume that the federal government always lost a certain amount, you know, every year doing this. That's what I thought too. I mean, look at in the last 10 years, how many years would you say the farmers around us have lost money? Right. It's, it's a heck of a lot more than one. Yeah, I mean, but, but you know, the accounting is weird on it, right? Because you, you basically take $5 billion from the farmers, you take $5 billion from the taxpayer, and then you, you know, do $7 billion worth of losses every year. So, you know, they don't really lo- technically lose any money. I mean, you know what I'm saying? The only time you'd consider their, their money to be uh, the loss ratio of the program, because if there was no government involved, every insurer says they provide whatever insurance products they provide and they just they need a loss ratio of less than one right for right. all the premiums paid into it just like health insurance for all the premiums paid into it you want to pay less than a dollar for every dollar that comes in right or it's not, you know or it's a it's a uh, it's a charitable business right uh, so non-farmers some some of like if you're not a farmer some of your taxes go towards that program oh yeah every every taxpayer pays into it across the country so yeah. that would be what some people would consider another farm subsidy yes yeah yeah which That's, in the and it is it is yeah <clears throat> yep i mean it's, it's a it's a subsidy uh, quite i mean you know i, I don't want to get too into the different government programs uh although give me another pbr i might but the um i've heard that yeah. about you lucas <laughs> Hey, somebody's sitting behind Lucas's camera there. Why don't you get him another beer? (laughs) Exactly. Well, you know, PBR was, this is funny, selected as America's best in 1893. That's been around for a while. Yeah, think about that that marketing. That was the last time they were selected as the the best. So they weren't voted. (laughs) They're still hanging on to that. (laughs) And they don't specify who selected. It was just selected. Do you remember that one time when we were selected as the best? That town I, you drive I think I'll select, I'm going to select. Two hundred people that says you know 1962 women's high school basketball champions. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> they I'm still repaint right the sign. Now, I select off the husk as the best America's best podcast in 2020. Write yeah, that right. down. There we go. We'll put that somewhere. We've already claimed the number one podcast in this township. In this, in this township. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've got it. You can go three miles in any direction, and we're number one. You're probably also taking up 60% of the internet. 
pipe into that. <laughs> we put N60% of the beer sales. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah. So I, I got a question for you then, and I don't want to, we don't need to hit too hard on the, on the subsidy side of things. I mean, I guess before I ask the question, I would say that my defense on the subsidy side of things is when you, when you help protect the revenue for the farmers, you keep farmers in business, you keep the banks getting paid, you keep the landlords getting paid, you keep the dealerships getting paid. So it's a, it, I mean, it really is, it goes back into the community, you know? I mean, yeah. that a lot of the times that money is spent before, before it gets there because yeah. we, we've paid for the services and the, and the inputs to grow that crop. So somebody is probably owed a lot of money behind that. Yeah. Um, but my question then is, I was gonna say that's, you don't even have to defend that. Um, because I don't think anyone ever jumps on it. Everyone understands that. Oh yes, they do. Have uh, you ever well, been on the yeah, internet? Get Lucas? on the internet and go anytime Zach talks about a farm subsidy or you don't even have to talk about it. They, it, it'll be in the com. Well, I'll, I'll screenshot some uh, comments and send them oh. to you, but oh yes. That's I believe it. I believe it. And a lot of that will get misconstrued because it's harder to defend direct payment programs. Uh, that's a totally different ball game than subsidizing crop insurance um, where there's no guarantee in that lost. Um, the fact is that it's just risk that farmers can't control. So, and it's always been a part of the farm bill uh, for a long time. And so the idea of subsidizing crop insurance to make a healthy and viable uh, food and um, fuel system is key. The direct payments is a little bit harder to justify when you, when you talk about the different type of direct payment programs that, that we've had. I mean, that's, that's a different discussion, but those nuances are usually never covered in yet uh, loud social media outbursts, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> so if you take the federal subsidy away from crop insurance, let's say they take it away for 2021, it's completely gone. How does that change game when it comes to the corn and soybean too because we should hit also that there's not a federal subsidy or available crop insurance for what every farmer does here i mean there's a lot of farmers in not just the u.s but the world but if we're talking u.s here there's still a lot of farmers that there's not a lot of there there isn't an insurance backing there correct no and they continue to expand it so you're right the, the corn beans wheat cotton rice you know the majors right you just think, look at the acres across the u.s and the majors all have uh, a lot of options. Uh, when you get into the specialties or the especially fruits or nuts and kind of stuff, uh, there's less options. Uh, there are some things where you can do whole farm, you can do, there's some specialty contracts. You think about organic uh, grains, uh, you can get coverage. Um, hemp was a new program rolled out by the federal government last year. Uh, They're insuring month. that already? Yes, they are. Yeah, where have you been, wow. Becky? That's well, pretty crazy that, you know, they're that. insuring hemp already. Yet, um, dairy farmers can't get. Yeah, that's do do dairy farmers explain what dairy farmers have or don't have for insurance? Yeah, no, there's a couple. There's a couple programs. DRP. Um, I forget the initials for the other one. Uh, dairy revenue protection. There's also da dairy. Um, uh, so there is products available, though. There are there are okay. some products available. Yeah, and it all so, that all has to do pretty much around price, uh, for the most part, kind of the the price on the board, and it's kind of a hedge against uh commodity price changes for the most part so what happens getting back to the question then if you take that subsidy completely away um obviously there's going to be there's going to be private people that come into this right private companies are going to change the game do you think what? the the premiums ultimately would stay the same or would these the, the private stuff would it have to get cheaper would the farmers still buy it 
Would it be no. lower levels? What would happen? All right. Well, I'm going to answer the first five of those questions. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. So, so what changes? Uh, if you took the subsidy away, you just took $5 billion worth of premium pay payment away. So if nothing changed, like, you know, isolate the variables, if, if nothing changed, the cost of all your uh, insurance would double. You know, and again, I'm using general numbers, you know, at a high level for all these different programs because there's different subsidies. But generally speaking, if you pay 20 bucks an acre for 85% revenue protection, you're going to pay $40 tomorrow. So in my county, you know, let's say 85% revenue protection might be $12, $13, give or take. It would be $24, $25 tomorrow uh, if the federal subsidy is gone because you just took away $5 billion essentially of taxpayer support for the program. But what would, but everything would change because of that, because now it'd be too expensive. Right. I mean, it would just be a sticker shock for, for all of us to buy crop insurance at double the price uh, that we pay today. Enter so, the competitive market. Yeah. So a couple of good things, a couple of bad things would happen. Uh, a couple of good things would be a lot of private uh, insurers would come into the market. Um, and innovation would uh, increase. Um, you'd have a lot of different optionality. Um, it, you'd have a lot of technology driven, you know, drones. Uh, they'd look at a lot more data points, uh, whether you're doing the right thing or not to get the right yields. So there'd be a lot of innovation. That'd be good. What would be bad is that, I don't know, it, there's actually people that do uh, analysis on this, uh, you know, like crop insurance experts from the different uh uh, universities and they look at it and say if you reduce subsidy even 10 percent then there'll be some and i'm making up a number here don't quote me 10 or 15 percent of farmers will stop buying it uh if you drop the subsidy completely you'd have i don't know i'm just making a number 30 40 percent 50 percent of the farmers that buy it today would stop buying it because it'd be too expensive especially with low commodity prices i mean we're dealing with small margins now uh you go and double crop insurance and someone's going to say i'm just going to hope that I don't have a problem and I'm going to go without crop insurance today. So what does that happen? It happens like if you stop insuring your house because you can't afford it, your house is going to burn down in three weeks. It's just yes. Murphy's law. That's how Definitely. it works, right? So if you have 20, 30% of farmers stop buying crop insurance or reduce their coverage to like some catastrophic level of 30%, 40%, 50% coverage, you're gonna have you're gonna have more people not taking it, more people that have a higher amount of risk that they're not uh, ready to take on, and quite honestly, probably have some more bankruptcies and more consolidation. So, and it, it would never rain again. Yeah, right. You'd have droughts. You'd have high winds. I mean, the weather would get bad. You know, be a complete uh, change in the weather. Twenty pattern. million acres every year. I mean, Murphy's law. And so, some good things, some bad things would happen, but you'll never see the subsidy go away. Everyone asks us, "What happened?" You know. Every, Everyone asks us within our company, everyone asks, uh, what happens if the subsidy goes away? And I don't think the subsidy will ever go away. It might be reduced a little bit. When you know, we might, someone might come in and say, become a thing? Well, crop insurance has been a thing for decades. Uh, it became a big thing when the federal uh, government subsidized, and I think it was in the 80s, 90s. But when they started doing revenue protection, uh, when it became price and yield sensitive, uh, it really caught fire. So we went from like very little farmers buying it uh, before the 2000s to now everyone buys it in the last 20 years. So it's, it's really 
the I, I don't know the exact date if I was a historian right. on the on the but uh, two, but, early two thousand. Yeah, and then it got really big where everyone kind of did it. Lucas, do you need a beer? Because Randy just got up and got himself one without I, getting me one. I've got one, but I need to figure out how to ask you guys more questions. So I have more silent pauses where I can drink my beer. <clears throat> Randy's in here. He's loving it because he's drinking every five minutes and then asks one question and then goes back to drinking. <laughs> yes, but I, I do have another one. When you talk obviously to, more experienced at this than I am. <laughs> well, Tina's here now. She went to get a beer. We've got a, we've got a fact checker now. Thanks, oh, Tina. Outstanding. Is, oh, yeah. Be ready on the Google, Tina. We need a Google. Um, so now we have a grand standard. I'll keep her busy by just throwing out random. <laughs> but when you talk uh, innovations and how that could be an okay thing, um, you know, obviously we we're drain tile guys, um, you know, in our area, you can do a lot by, by some drain tile and, and that, that really changes the game on your land. Uh, another thing I would assume would be the same for the irrigator guys. You know, do they do they get a break if they have an oh, irrigator? So there's a totally different rating for irrigated, non-irrigated land. There is okay. Totally different irrigated, non-irrigated. So I know that that's maybe why the the tile thing has been talked about. Where, you know, if you had a full pattern tiled field, you know, you could get this better rating or different rating or or. Uh, I mean, there's lots of things you, you start going by practices. You're saying because there's not as much rockies, risk for a drought or flooding out or right. whatever. Okay. Yep. Well, and, and it's a great question. So if you think about, innovation. I'll go back to drinking and. It, there you go. <laughs> Since I, you, you got you you especially like me because I I probably give long winded answers. So you're like, this is great. He's like a he's like a ten gulper. Um, <laughs> ten <laughs> gulper. Yeah, I'm a ten gulper kind of answer guy. Um, so innovation is going to be driven through data. Um, the actuarial science is the actuarial science. You figure out what it costs to provide what protection. All insurance is about what premium, what cost does it take to cover what risk is out there. So the idea of pattern tiling, the idea of maybe cover crops, the idea of whatever you do that says that your yield varies less than other farmers in your county and your ground is, has a better productivity index than other farmers in your county, there's a lot of data out there that says that we could, we could assess your risk differently than another farmer down the road. The government program pretty much rates everything at county level. And then they take your personal production history and tweak it a little bit, but that's about it. Which is, which is five years or five crop histories? 10. Uh, 10, 10, but, 10, 10 with a trend adjustment and a yield adjustment. Then there's a yield exclusion. So you can exclude the year 2012 because of the drought year. So you come up with this magical number called an approved APH. Yep. That approved APH is then used to figure out what your final cost and coverage is. Okay. But there's 10. I always thought there was five. I don't know why I thought that. But there's 10 yeah. numbers in there. that Five, five might have had something to do with the original ARC program. Okay. Did it? Good. In the in the um, when they were doing calculations on ARC PLC. How many years of history do you need to be able to use your own history instead of the T yield, which would be the county average? Or did I say that completely wrong? No, no, no. It, it is, and there's different rules. I wish I could give you an easy answer because if you pick up new ground, there's ways you can you can use the yield from prior to it if as you transition uh, because you've established a certain yield within within that 
there's an insurable unit. It's, so it's not field by field, right? There's this concept of insurable right. unit. And it's all unit. continuous within a section. I said, yes, I did. Um, <laughs> because of that, the answer is not easy because if your crop insurance is good, uh, your agent is good, you can make sure. So I'll, let me say in there's gray areas, Randy. Let me dumb it down. Uh, beginning farmer, yep. uh, first piece of ground. Named Randy. Named Randy. Yep. How many years <laughs> before he can start upping his county average yield? Uh, I'm not sure. There is a beginning uh, farmer, uh, a special rate, how you can, how you can actually calculate a yield for a beginning farmer as well. Yep. So, I, yeah, it was the, it was the rules to it. Yeah. I think I could be wrong, but I think in Minnesota there was a, you went off the county yield, but then you got, you could add a certain percent to it for that. But so are you on, I'm not as yield on that I'm not now? So we have, to, yeah, because we don't have any, we don't have any history. So I yeah. had a piece like that for a couple of years too. And it was. So our, so our, our, uh, our corn proven yield is 156 for our county right now. 20, I thought you've been lower than your operations. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. So then, so then for us right now, when you look at buying the crop insurance, well, we can't insure it, you know, to what we should be able to. So we're, we're not, we're, we're going low on the crop insurance because right. it's not going to do much for us anyways. Right. Right. Until right. you build up your APH. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, I'm not as close to it cause I'm not a day in and day out agent like our team, you know, like our agent team is, and they're the ones that can walk you through that. But what we find is even when we go and give a second opinion, and, and this one things that I would take away from the podcast, like if you're a farmer, and you, even if you've been happy with your crop insurance agent, give, I would go get a second opinion. You don't have to do it every year, but every couple of years, go get a second opinion and see if someone gives you a different recommendation and why. There's so much complexity to the system these days. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, we find probably 30, 40, 50% of the time that they're not maximizing their APH, their approved APH for some reason, right? Someone forgot to do a yield exclusion on a year. Somebody forgot to do a yield adjustment. We've... Uh, we had some, there's master yields for sunflowers where you can, you can combine uh, yields differently using a master yield over many years. So there's a lot of different things you can do to make sure that you're maximizing, basically maximizing your cost to coverage ratio. Right. I know in the past too, we have, we have found on a, on a parcel um, for Dibdahl's guys I work for um, going through and, and whoa, what's, what's this yield doing in here? That's not right you know, and have a, have one yield in there that's way off and it, it skews the whole thing. It'll make yeah. a difference. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had, so in 2011 around here, we had terrible green snap, terrible. And that was the year we found out that the neighbors all had green snap insurance and we didn't know that, that that was a thing. So I was, oh. was going to mention that too, where, uh, um, I know talking to your neighbors, Hey, what are you doing for crop insurance now? And, and I know that really helps because in between agencies and it is a, it seems like a lot of these crop insurance agencies don't, don't or can't, I should say. It probably changes so often that. Right. Um, that, and that's what happened here was the agent we were buying from. He just, for whatever reason, wasn't aware that Green Snap was an available product. Right. And it, yep. I mean, it costs us tens of thousands. Yeah. And I mean, then we, the, we started shopping around a little bit and really ended up with somebody that was really good introduced some and new stuff so green like green snap which is which is uh in a high wind the corn will actually just break off like it looks like you cut it with the scissors typically the hottest part of the summer when yep. when the stocks are growing the fastest and they don't have that and time that at night a lot of time is combined with hail 
Is that correct? And and that's a private. That's not a yeah. Favorite. Green snap or like a wind a wind yep. hail uh, private product. I mean, honestly, uh, Iowa is dealing with that right now. This huge yep. wind windstorm that just came through that blew all the bins down. And I mean, there are they're trying to figure out projections right now, but there will be a lot of acres uh, that have uh, that are laying down right now. And so that that would be that right. Whether it's green corn reel sales will go up in that area. Yeah. Was, was your farm affected by that, Lucas? I know you said you're just east of DeKalb, Illinois. Were you in yeah, that? Was not. By the time it got to us, it kind of spread out enough where the winds died down. I think we got 30, 40, maybe 50 mile an hour winds. But we, have a, we actually have uh, three uh, crop insurance agents that live between the Des Moines and kind of the Cedar Rapids area. And, uh, and some of them were right in the middle of it. And so they got 80, 90, 100 mile an hour winds and, uh, and it, you know, tore up trees, all the, some, some fields are completely flat. So, I mean, they're out right now uh, trying to assess damage. And now you got farmers down there right now, not only have crop damage, but now they, some of them don't have bins to put it in. in I've the seen that, the elevators, yeah. elevators upon all the towns, bins are down. So at the time of recording this, this has just happened, what, two days ago? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, this is going to be sometime maybe before this comes I out. I saw right? uh, Rob Sharkey lost a cooler. I saw, I saw that. <laughs> I watched that, and I was like, oh, no, the cooler, the cooler. Pretty soon it's just gone. Is He's he? all yeah. worried about his corn laying flat. Meanwhile, his cooler probably was full of beer. Is Rob also, is he in Iowa or Illinois? He's, He's in Illinois. Great, oh, he is in, I thought he was yeah. in Indiana. Mm -mm. Oh, he's no. Illinois? Sorry. And Rob. I don't. From the from the video where his cooler was blowing away, it didn't look like. I mean, obviously his his corn took a hit, but nothing like what what they were in Iowa related. His flat. bins no. were still upright with roofs. Yep. Yeah. You could see him flexing in the video. Oh though. yeah, they really moved. Yeah. I, no, I, I, I think the, I think the real damage pretty much ended. I don't know exactly, but somewhere around the, the Mississippi, so kind of between Iowa and Illinois, the switchover. Because I I haven't heard much damage in Illinois. But in Iowa, from like just east of Des Moines to Cedar Rapids and whatnot, it's pretty bad, pretty bad. So, but I mean, the idea, the question you asked, Randy, about innovation, and I talked about data. So our first private product, even in pilot form last year for just a couple of states, actually took more, it took data from your FBN account and could actually assess your risk compared to peers. Uh, to where it said, listen, you're doing everything right. You're planting early enough, not too early. Your yield is less variable than other yields. Your ground is a good PI that we believe you're a reduced risk and we can actually provide a rate reduction. It's, and I don't want to oversimplify because it it's, it's not that simple, but it's kind of like a good, it's like the good farmer discount or the high quality uh, ground and discount. Yeah, I mean, the it's, a -team kind of, it's, a -team it's like, because if you think about it, some counties have the a lot of, got paid more. <laughs> <laughs> like some counties have a lot of variability, right? I mean, there's some counties are really big and they have, there's a lot of variability. And sometimes the, the government programs and some of these programs don't catch all that granularity. So uh, is there, and, is there a clause in there where your ancestors should have just stopped sooner? <laughs> or maybe yeah. kept going. <laughs> yeah, keep walking. Why would you stop here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I say every, time, every time I get to West Iowa and I see the terraces, I think, oh. I think that's where that's where your yeah. grandpappy like, decided to farm. Get to there, like, oh, I could I could build a bunch of terraces, farm everything in a circle, and uh, yeah, this would be great. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm but guessing then you, you, see those then you go out west and they're like 80 acre fields. That's terrible. My yeah. smallest field is 300 acres. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So do you see those on your way to farmer to farmer every year when you're going to Omaha? Because that was when I saw those. That's exactly Randy right. were driving through and I'm like, I, I don't understand. Like, I couldn't farm corn here. Why do they plant corn? I mean, I, I'm sure it grows good corn because it is oh, where it is. It's pretty dang good. Yeah. My yeah. God, yeah. it'd be horrible to farm around all those. You but, just I mean, got to accept your productivity is not good. I suppose, yeah. It's the same thing, like you know. Local market. Randy, don't go to Nebraska and start talking about pattern tiling your fields to get water <laughs> off of it, right? right. I mean, you'll get run out of you'll get run out of Nebraska. They they're well, just dying for free water right it's now. It's crazy that the amount of comments I get back, like, "Oh man, if you could just pipe that water down to us, you know, here we sit and fight for water, and you can't get rid of it." And exactly. you don't have to is. go that far west of you before that changes, right? You, you're yeah. what, like an hour and a half from what I would consider the dry line. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you got the Red River Valley, which I would consider the wettest soils in the country. Right, just heavy gumbo. Yeah, nothing moves. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Um. So let's shift gears a little bit and yeah. and hit on health insurance. Yeah. So you guys got into health insurance too. Yeah, no. totally different because in crop insurance we're an agency uh, and we provide the government programs and we're doing our own stuff. Um, for health insurance, we just partnered with. Uh, an insurance company uh, and their plan. And what we basically did was negotiated an FBN price, an additional discount. So we basically negotiated on behalf of all of our farmers for, for a very good priced small group insurance down to a group of two people. Uh, so you can qualify as long as you have two employees, you can qualify for this group insurance and it's really good rates. I mean, so why is it, a lot of money. Why is it done like that? Like you, a small group for each farm rather than just having FBN be the group and spread the. Love. Yeah. If you got 12,000 yeah. members and 5,000 want in on that, why can't you share 5,000 on the group plan? Well, cause that's, it, that would be us taking our own risk right away. And uh, we weren't ready to do that. I mean, uh, so there's a couple of vehicles. So we, we partnered on a group insurance plan plan. When you think about some of these farm bureaus, like the Iowa Farm Bureau and these other, uh, they created an association health plan. So since you guys are not employees, are you know right? Our members are not employees of ours. Uh, they're members of essentially FBN is kind of like an association. So the only way we could do that is create an association health plan, create our own kind of trust. We got to go and, and and basically support and finance the risk, and then go out and manage all the premium coming in and all the insurance claims going out, which means we'd also have to partner with a TPA, a processing company. And so there was a ton of work and a ton of risk to do it that way. And we weren't, it doesn't make a ton of sense. It's expensive. Uh, and there's this thing called adverse selection. Uh, so that way, if someone else comes up with something cheaper and all the healthy millennial farmers uh, that have low uh, incidences of claims leave, then you're left with only the, say, less healthy or older population that has higher claims. Crappy then you ones. Have loss, you have loss ratios well Peace over, spot. yeah, well, well over 100, percent and uh, that becomes a huge, uh, that becomes a huge issue. So that's very hard to do, um, and in the long term, uh, it's a costly way to do it. So we went with a route that said, let's go figure out how we can help support some of our farmers with a really 
uh, aggressive group insurance plan. And I think that's what we did. And for all the people that have signed up for that, they're extremely happy. So our, our, uh, you know, we signed up people two years ago and then we had basically 98% of them, uh, signed back up. We added a bunch of new people. We'll add new people this year. And our, our satisfaction rate is really high because it's a good product. It's well-priced. We've saving people money. They've been able to keep their own primary care physicians that they, that they want because they're in network. And so we haven't been able to help everybody, but the people that go through the process, get the application, get approved, have been very happy with the results. So, Are you in Minnesota yet? Oh, you took my question again, Randy. Yeah. No. You know what's no, it's frustrating? We've been hey, waiting. Can I, ask you, can I ask you another question quick with this? Are you in California Please. yet? No. Oh, weird. You're not in Minnesota and California. <laughs> I'm starting to see a pattern here. Are you in California? Yes, little yeah, little. He's saying because we're blue states. That's the hiccup. He th- er, he's- no, no, oh, Min- no. Minnesota is uh, runs a lot of the same regulations as California, and they're pushing for even more. Are you saying yeah. we're a fairly liberal state? But Minnesota has mm. some of the best. When you're talking like their uh, their their state healthcare, it's the I think they're like one of the best in the nation. But their own. Yeah, program, not to get into the liberal conservative, but yeah, I mean, usually healthcare is pretty darn good um, in in the blue states. Uh, the reason why we're not in through our partner was a care management, yada, yada, yada. It's a technicality. We've been waiting literally for 12 months to get in there. And um, we should be in there here in the next uh, couple months. Um, we are in 20, oh, 25 states, 26 states, That's something like good. that. So, yeah, I mean, that includes Illinois, that includes Nebraska. With, you know, Nebraska is one of the toughest states to have um, a group insurance uh, for small businesses because they lack a lot of options there. So uh, in some states, you can save a lot of money. In some states, you can save a little money. Uh, it's a little different in every state. Um, and, but we have some great uh, brokers. We have some great agents that can help navigate the process for, for farmers. So, What you, about Canada and Australia? Ah, well... Canada has a, a universal yeah. uh, healthcare program, and I believe Australia does as well. So they do. Pretty oh, much do. every modern, yep. almost every modern society has some type of basic or universal healthcare, except yeah, for- Yeah, uh, I think it's actually, when you look at like uh, top countries, like the top 10 most, what's the word I'm looking for? I said modern, but it's like- um, Developed, right? Maybe oh, that's yeah. the word. Like, I think the US is the only country that doesn't have universal healthcare. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. But for those who don't know, FBN is now in Australia. Oh, yeah. And the Australian farmers can actually use me as a reference to save themselves $100 on a membership. And, Becky, this podcast is actually brought to you by... Hey guys, if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time now, you have heard us talk about FBN Direct. That is the place where you can go and get the lowest prices on things like herbicides, fungicides, pesticides, adjuvants, everything you need to make sure your crops stay healthy this crop season. Here is something new. Everybody can now go on and see chemical prices at FBN.com. That includes people that are not even members. This is your chance to go on and see what we've been talking about. They've opened up the doors to help farmers out, and now you can see exactly how much you could be saving. There's also free shipping on orders over five grand until the end of August. 
These are big savings that can help your farm this crop year. Join FBN, become a member, call 844-200-FARM. That's 844-200-FARM. And check out FBN.com. Make sure you mention the Minnesota Millennial Farmer, and you will also save $100 off your first year of membership. And we're back. <laughs> well done. So, so, so FBN is an. <laughs> that was so well done. I'm not done. FBN is in Australia and Canada. Everywhere you go in Canada, the milk is sold in only bags. <laughs> oh, no. no, stop it now. That, that's it an inside one that from That wasn't Asahas. true, but. Well, it is true, but only in... Well, no, it's not true. Becky's going to be real careful what she says because <laughs> we still get hate emails off of that. It's only in one province. Oh, I believe Manitoba. Yes. Is it the one that Ashley lives in? Yes, Winnipeg. Manitoba. Yes. And, but they can also get their milk in cartons and jugs or however. So it's not only available in bags. And I, I'm really sorry about that, Canada. I take it back. Ongoing, this is an ongoing uh, uh, hot topic there. Oh, we got so much hate mail about it. They, <laughs> really? The Canadians, no, not I mean, when I sing no, hate really. mail. There's one guy. When I, no. <laughs> Which is half of Canada. But he was well, loud. He was it was loud. more than one guy, but it wasn't really hate mail. It was, you know, really nice, polite Canadians emailing to be like, mm, actually, that's not right. <laughs> yeah we usually we usually try to cut becky off at three since that podcast <laughs> not true <laughs> it's been getting lower and lower and lower Aren't, isn't the whole motto of a podcast kind of like just be directionally accurate or or relatively close to no truth? we don't have any it, sort of it turns out that wasn't even relatively close <laughs> <laughs> and we've never been relatively relatively accurate at anything that we that also mobile. learned that you can get bag milk in the United States at Quick Trip. So if that's your thing. At a gas station? Yes. You're going to buy a milk Quick in Trip a bag at a gas station? Sells bag milk in the U.S. There's no way that comes from a cow. What's it sold in? Like, what's a big milk? Like a five-gallon drum? No, what? it must be like a, a pint or... Because the, the guy that sent me a video on Instagram from Canada with his bag milk, it was a one-gallon bag. And he cut the corner off and put it in a plastic pitcher, and then they'd and pour, then it out of pour it out of your pitcher. Pour it out of there like that. That's so whether or not that's than twisting the top off and having a handle. Correct. It's supposed to be more eco-friendly. Is the theory behind it? It's way less what. packaging. The, I'll tell you what. The way my four kids drink milk, I might as well just buy it in two seventy-five gallon totes. <laughs> oh, there you go. Our you know, family's um, not a big. Not, we're not big milk drinkers here. Oh, here comes the hate mail. You should yeah, I know, which yeah. is too bad. Way to go, Becky. Well, Zach and Rhiannon are lactose intolerant, and Onyx and I just really don't like it. Well, there goes, the, there goes the Minnesota-Wisconsin. You just uh, stink every time you drink it. You're bad. Yes, bad. that means you're lactose intolerant. <laughs> no, it just means. The one time the YouTube, Zach included a clip of his uh, soy milk in the garbage can. Or, no, it was almond milk, right? I can't remember. Yeah, there was an empty almond milk not, in, not the, juice. in the garbage yeah. can, and boy, did he get some flack for that. Nobody, like, yeah. apparently you can't support the almond farmers. It's well, a good we, thing you brought that up again, so only 60,000 <laughs> people will hear it. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I mean, I understand the the uh, intolerance, right? I mean, with the allergies and stuff. I, I'm tequila intolerant, um, and I Same. had that since I was in my mid-20s. Doesn't so, stop yeah. you from drinking it, does it? Yeah, well, I just got to mix it. 
<laughs> some of us, some of us just tough it out, you know. You yep. gotta just push through. That's that's Zach and Jack Daniels. He's intolerant. He 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 actually has a yeah. What do you call it? A alter, second alter ego. Alter, alter ego. A second like a yeah, yeah. alter ego. And Zach he, Zach Daniels. Zach Daniels, and he's a whole different person. <laughs> now the internet knows about Zach Daniels. <laughs> it's a bad oh, deal. We're gonna work on meeting Zach Daniels this weekend. It's not allowed, actually. No. <laughs> no. She acts and like she put a stop to Zach Daniels. Oh, Zach Daniels and Becky Whiteclaw. <laughs> you could see my. Yeah, Becky Whiteclaw is also a bad one. That is, that's, <laughs> that's on point. But she still shows up frequently. <laughs> Not that often. The millennial farmer realized that Zach Daniels needed to go away for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Becky's still in that phase where she's not quite sure if Becky Whiteclaw. I actually don't drink Whiteclaw. I really just drink Truly, thank you. But. No, true story. I, uh, a little guy's trip I do every year. We go up to Wisconsin uh, Lake House for a weekend. And, you know, I'm, I've had four kids in the last like five and a half years here. So I haven't been like up on the new drinks. And so I'm driving up last and the other three guys text me. They're like, pick up some white claws. Oh no. Um, You're friends with guys who drink white claws. Yeah. Bad friends. That's embarrassing. I don't talk to to them anymore, but no, no, seriously, you know what my reaction was? And I, I, I could show you the text. I said, do I get those at Dunkin' Donuts? I thought he was there. I thought this was like a new, Bear like claw. a donut yeah like a that was a donut yeah i said where do you want me to pick up these donuts and they're like what are you talking about <laughs> it would have been great if you just came with some white frosted bear claws yeah that's what i, I would literally be like do you have a white claw the, the dunkin donuts lady would have been like <laughs> what? Oh, I'm that would have been an obvious dad fail yeah oh yeah just yeah, put some good. frosting on that i'm sure that's what they meant <laughs> oh man that's that's funny true story the other the me. other one of my other favorite stories and then this is completely random it just made me i was laughing about it uh, we don't we, we don't have, do that here we call we it not, oh oh we gotta stay on point do we yeah, okay nice point. try very serious Drinking PBRs and it's nine o'clock eastern time i so i told you i started farming in 2011 i restarted the farm nobody farmed in the family uh after like 91 or 92 and i just i told my dad who's retired i said we're gonna start farming again he goes you're crazy i said well it might be but we're gonna do it and we walked into a john deere dealership like a couple weeks later because i had to get a tractor right and at this point didn't know much about what the differences were so i walk in there and i said hey i want to talk to somebody about a tractor and you know and you know how the small towns right i mean you go out to a dealership and they know who's farming i mean there's nobody that did they bring you to the lawnmower section that's exactly he goes what do you want a riding or a zero turn I said, no, I want one of those outside. You know? I want a big I one. Want a big one. <laughs> I want a big one. They're like, who are you? I was like, yeah. In, in his defense, you know, or her, whatever it was, like when you walk into a dealership, I mean, the sales guys know. They know who everybody is, right? Yeah. They only got to deal with a couple hundred farmers coming yeah. in. So. So when you say that you guys started to farm again, what your land must have been rent up, rented out for all those years that you weren't. Yeah, well, it was for you know whatever it was, almost twenty years uh, or so, it was rented out, and it wasn't a lot, right? It was just a small amount, just the original farmstead. So I just decided I was working, you know, a day, you know, a regular day job, and I said I want to start farming on the side because long term, I'd love to do that and then hand it over because I knew I was going to buy out the family, the previous generation. You know, at that point, we were oh, 95 years old on the farm since my great-grandfather bought it. And I said, 
I'd like to do this in retirement and maybe I can build it up and, you know, give it off to one of the kids. So, um, so that's why I decided in 2011 to start from scratch. So between that and FBN, it's been 10 years worth of, uh, you know, learning every in and out of the, of the business. So it's been fun. So when you first went to FBN, you said you were F, uh, business, what'd you say? Uh, Farmers Business Network. It's a company I work for. <laughs> Farmers only, right? Yeah. <laughs> Farmers <laughs> only. Yeah, yeah. That's where I met my wife. It's, no, uh, what, what was your, what was your title? What was your job? What were you hired for? I was VP of operations. It was just to help build out uh, the business. At that point, we were a one trick pony. So at what point when, when the, when the insurance thing came up, did you like raise your hand? Ah, I could probably do this or how, well, how did you slide of, in? It was more me going and saying, I think we should do this. Um, oh, gotcha. And, and, I'll, uh, and I'll, you know, I'll take, I'll run it. I'll do it. Yeah. You know, we had launched the direct and we had launched uh, some of the other uh, business that we we're doing and, and stuff. And so I just spent some time and said, you know, I think it's time for, to look into this healthcare and, and crop insurance, I think makes a lot of sense. I think we can create a lot of value for farmers. You know, and the good thing about FBN and, you know, most people won't understand this or probably even believe me because I work for them. But ever since I had my first conversation with them all and I met Charles and you guys know Charles and, and the rest of a lot of our leadership, it's always been the same since day one is how can we, what can we do to let, you know, to even the playing field for farmers. And it's always been that way. And we've never been pigeonholed as like, Oh, we're going to be a chemical seed company or we're going to be this type of company it's going to be a we're going to be a farmer network and then we're going to figure out products and services that we can we can either provide some more information or provide more buying power or something figure out how we can add value to farmers for farmers and it's always been that since day one it was that way when i was a member it was that way when i met the leadership and i joined the leadership um, and you know, it'll be that way forever. And that's what I truly like about it. Cause it's not a platitude. It's not fake. It's just, it is what it is. Uh, and so that, that's an enjoyable part about, you know, I left healthcare and, uh, as a, my, my day job was healthcare for 15 years. And I, I left that and, and came on board here and it's, it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. So the, my story that I want to relate to that is when I was in Omaha last year. So I got to be part of I, th I think I can mention the farmer advisory panel. Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, that's, that's, so I got on this farmer advisory panel and I don't know how many farmers are on it, maybe 50 ish. Yeah, and 35, and, 35, 40, something like that. Yeah. We're from, from all over the place. And before like the first day of um, farmer to farmer down in Omaha every year, they bring us in. And so I, I've only been a part of it one year, but they brought us in and, and we sit in a room for, it's like, it was like a six hour day, but, you get in there and they, they talk about all kinds of stuff. And it's not like you sit down and you look over graphs and talk about how the business is doing. And it's like, it's a really non-conventional way of sitting the members down and saying, what do you like? What do you not like? What do we need? What should we drop? And then the, the guys, you know, Charles and Amol leave the room and, and the farmers hash it out without them in there. And, uh, and, and, it's really cool. It's like a super non-conventional way of them saying, tell us what we need to do. We're here to listen. And now we're going to leave the room and you can, I don't, I forget how we did it. You can write down stuff or I think we had one or two guys talking for us when they came back in, but um, there were some kind guys that like actually a, like a jury almost. Yeah. Like, there were yeah, some we, guys we, that we laid into walk, them and said, every, why are we doing this? 
we'd walk every sale FBN sales rep in front of them and they would just simply do a thumbs up, thumbs down and tell us who we should, you know, no. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a, uh, you know, I mean, it was started by farmers, uh, the general concept, and it's always been about what's, what the need is. You know, when we first started, it was, it was more about yield and, and picking the right seed and, and maximizing yields uh, to take advantage of the good prices, you know, back in, you know, 15. But the difference between farming in 15 and, and farming in 2020 there's a big difference. I mean, we got really soft prices. So right now it's all about, it's all about margins. It's all about what, what's my ROI? How can I buy seed at a good price so that I can maximize my ROI? How can I get uh, inputs for the best price? How can I make the best crop marketing decisions? How can I make the best insurance decisions? How can I get some of the best loans? We do operating lines and land loans. When, you know, and people, they, when people sign up, it do what like what are most people in what brings most people to fbn like is it is it different that, like is, no yeah. <laughs> um, no it's you know honestly it changes uh, a little bit you know as we've introduced new businesses you know there's new people that come in for that business you know half of our uh fbn health half of the people that have fbn health came to fbn for health that means 50% of the people signed up were members and 50% of the people were non-members and they called us, heard something about it, signed up, we save them money on healthcare, they're happy. And now maybe they can find another reason why to like us. Right. Um, you know, the majority of the reason is still direct. Uh, it's still the most obvious thing that's out there. Uh, it's still one of the biggest, you know, between seed and chemical inputs, it's the biggest portion of a, of, of a farmer spend. So outside rent. So, you know, direct is still a big reason, but now we have a lot of farmers sign up for insurance and marketing and financing and sometimes just analytics or price transparency, whatever it may be. A lot of reasons. Uh, and the key is everyone likes us for one or two reasons. And then over time you see them, you know, use us for a couple different reasons. Um, so, you know, we attract different farmers for different reasons and we like that. Um, you know, not everyone has to use us for everything. Uh, we're there uh, for farmers to get some value and, and everyone's different. So that's fine with us. So playing off of that, does your family still have that cabin between Bemidji and Cass Lake? No, no, unfortunately uh, we don't have that probably, it's probably been 20 years now, but my whole life I grew up. So my mother's from that area. My dad met my mom out of law school. That's where they met, got married. And then they moved back to our farm. Down in how, how did how do you meet? He met a girl between Cass Lake and Bemidji. Yeah, she grew up on the reservation. She's Ojibwe. My mom's Ojibwe, um, and he out of law school was a uh, out of law school, and I think he came out of law school was his sixty two, like sixty six, sixty seven. Pick up. He went into vol volunteers in service to America Vista. Uh, it's a big program. Volunte volunteers in service to America. He actually worked for Donald Rumsfeld as a lawyer and his two, and he had a couple choices where to go. My dad's a big outdoors kind of hunter guy. And so one of the options was like, go to the, go to the Indian reservation in Northern, like, you know, Leech Lake Indian reservation in Northern Minnesota. And he's like, that sounds like a vacation. I'm going to do that. So he went up there for a couple of years and, and met my mother uh, who was up there actually met her at the idle hour bar that was just off that road that goes between Cass Lake and Bemidji. 
uh, back in whatever it was, late 60s, and they got married in 71. So that's how they met. And then, uh, then he moved her back to the, the family farm in Illinois. That's, that's crazy because I, I actually lived in Cass Lake for one year when I went to uh, tech school. You lived on Cass Lake. On, well, yeah, I think that was our, I think that was the, maybe our address was. It's the only town on the Cass Lake because the Cass Lake on the north side is all part of the, the forest uh, on the reservation. So the only really town on Cass Lake is Cass Lake. Right, Which is I where we so. were. Yeah. There was a small town that starts with a P um, just like oh. a few miles off the north side. Fact checker. Um, yeah, fact checker. Get on it, Tina. <laughs> Pull up uh, Google Maps. Yeah, I know. I'm, uh, Type I in have, Cass Lake and then an scroll live there. to the north side of the lake. I'm be grown. northeast of the corner of the lake. Yep, I know exactly what you're talking about. But it was great as a kid because we would just get on, you know, we go on a boat. We go down to Wolf Lake and Andrusia, Cass Lake. Uh, you can make it all the way to Leech Lake and Pike Bay. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a beautiful area. In a fairly quiet area. Pennington. Pennington. That's it. That's funny. So I, I was actually just debating whether or not that was my address for a year, but I couldn't think of the name of the town. <laughs> yeah. I didn't yeah. go there often. Did you check your driver's license? You, I, I changed it since then? I didn't mow. My, 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 my uh, address always never stayed. Never changed. Yeah, I never changed my driver's license. It was always here. It was always here, yeah. yeah. Now you're back here, so you just never did have to change it. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. No, I would come home on the weekends and I would pick up my two pieces of mail and give my mom my laundry and then it would clean itself and I would take it back up to Pennington. Right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Those were the days. Well, now I got to do my own laundry. Yes, you do. <laughs> so you've, a couple times you guys have mentioned Charles. Uh, there's probably a fair amount of people that don't know who Charles is. Um, so Charles is one of the founders of FBN. I'm just wondering if Lucas could tell us any stories about Charles and maybe get, like, is there any way we could get either you or Charles fired? Mm, well, plenty of ways to get me fired, but uh, <laughs> no, I mean, Charles was one of the first people I met, you know, in the company, um, you know, he and Amol, you know, kind of created the idea, um, and, uh, together, he married into a Nebraska farm family, if I believe. He's got three girls, and uh, uh, what you see is what you get. He's just a really solid guy. I mean, that, and that's the great thing about, you know, the, the leadership of the company. I mean, it's just good people. And uh, I wish I had some wild story. I mean. I've I got have... a pretty good one the first time I met Charles. <laughs> oh, do you? All right. <laughs> so that was, that was two years ago at the, the Farmer to Farmer. And uh, so that was your first time there also, correct? My first time. At, yeah. yeah. So we were, yep. we were there both. So that was first the first time, time I met Charles too. Seriously? I had talked to him. Yeah. But that was the first time I met him was in Omaha. Oh, actually. this makes the story better. So oh, we, before, uh, you, before you go on the story, because I think it's going to be a long one. Um, the very first year. Like we've met. Charles almost completely lost his voice. Oh, he was I like that. The, that. Yeah. He's like that every year, I think. Yeah. But the first year. Literally could not talk. It was bad, but uh, but uh, he's been he's getting better at saving his voice while he MCs the uh, pacing himself. Yeah, <laughs> pacing himself. So we it was first night there, I think. Yeah. So the first day we were there. So you always take it easy the first night, you know. No. <laughs> so that's me and Randy. No, Randy, we don't. The first know. night of any any multi-day event, we take it so super we're, easy. We're told this the the uh, 
crop circles or whatever the the morning deal starts oh, yeah. at like six fifteen or six thirty in the morning. Yes, like six a.m. breakfast. Be yeah, and we're crop like, circles, yeah, I, I think it. we'll make that. And then Zach's video is going to be playing during this at six a.m. Yeah, I had a video that I had sent into them, kind of welcoming people to the I remember, breakfast, yeah. the crop circle thing. You know, so we got up super early, got our stuff together, got down there by eight thirty. <laughs> there's no way i was down there by 8 30 <laughs> and, and run across charles so it was the first time i had met him and it, i didn't know you were with me like that, when i that time i was yeah yeah, okay. yeah so it would have been and he he's asking uh he's like oh man it was great this morning we had your video up and it played and that was so awesome what'd you think of it and zach's <laughs> like well we uh we we didn't quite make it here in time he's like oh you didn't like what happened it starts at six zach's like well we 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 didn't get into our hotel room till like four thirty. He's like, "What went wrong? What hotel you at? I'll call him. What what happened? Why you were? Why didn't you have a room? Like it was the hotel's fault. Yeah. Like the hotel screwed up. I can't believe this. You were like the millennials farmers trip to Omaha, and, and we were like, "You're like, please don't call anyone." We chose to not get there till four thirty. That was the night when, or the morning when I walked into the hotel, and I'm like, uh, "I need to check in." Yeah, there's nothing there. Like, do you do you have a reservation? Yeah. I, I mean, I should. She's like, well, you're checking, you're checking into your reservation for last night now. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is how it goes. I need a place to sleep for two hours. Can yeah. you help me with that? Hopefully, there's that was a bed for me with pillows. That was also the hotel I walked into, and they went, uh, nope, that's not your hotel, because they're both Hiltons, but one was the. One was mine, one was yours. You had to take an Uber. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so we gave Zach the nice one, and then we gave you the one with the doors on the outside. Well, I I that waited was the first year. I yeah, because I went last minute because I I didn't know if I could go, and then temps got cold and weather whatever. So then I I quick booked it and went or whatever. But but I think I actually got the the uh, um like the valet parker valet person to give me a oh, ride yeah. to my hotel because i'm like hotel. I'm like well where's my hotel and she's like oh it's three blocks that way or whatever yeah well, i'll give you a ride i'm like ah perfect <laughs> so that reminds uh, me was it the second not a year ton, that you not a ton went? going on in omaha at 4 30 in the morning was it the second None. year that you guys went and and randy decided to opt out of his room and then <laughs> no oh, oh, hold on hold on we got we this is one of the stories that i i just thought of that it's got to be told correctly so Randy and I, I was told I have, I have a, a I have a room, a two room suite. I have a two room suite for this, for, for farmer to farmer. And I'm like, well, if I got a suite, like I should check in, I should call, make sure there's two beds. Then Randy doesn't need his, his room and it opens up more space for FBN. Randy and I can bunk together, whatever. Right. So I call the hotel. This yeah, is your it's first a two year, by the way, Zach, this is your first year there. No, no this, this was the second. second. This was the. This okay. was a year after the story that Randy. So your just second finished. year, you get a two-room suite. At the second year, Apparently. I get a two-room suite. Yeah, maybe maybe at my ten-year anniversary. Yeah, hey, <laughs> hold hold on, hold on. Yeah, it gets better. So so I call Randy and I'm like, well, you can go ahead and cancel your room or give it to somebody or whatever because you can just shack up with me. We got because Randy's room was also his hotel. His hotel was a different hotel yep. so zach was like yeah. why just stay again here? i waited till late to make sure i, well, we take, I think yeah. we take up like three or four hotels for this for the farm yeah, yeah at least and randy's gonna be with me till four to five a.m somewhere in between there about when and the birds last time was a huge hassle hotel. and i had to convince the hotel lady to give me a ride to my hotel <laughs> so anyway this time 
I tell Randy to cancel his room. I've got a two room suite. We got two beds in there. We're good to go. Don't worry about it. We're going to, we'll share the room right across from the convention center there. Like it's an easy walk. Just take my room with me. So we get down there and we get to the room and there's two doors and I'm like, Oh, perfect. Like it must be like an adjoining type of thing. So he picks this door. I pick that one. We go in and I walk in and I'm like, oh, I got the suite room with the TV and the mass, massive bathroom and everything awesome. And I'm looking around like, yeah, this is awesome. Randy comes walking in. He's like, oh, man, you got the awesome room. And then we stand there for a minute. And pretty soon we realize, like, wait a second. There's no bed. <laughs> so I slept on the couch with no pillows, no blankets. Meanwhile, Randy's in his room. It's too hot in there. He's got blankets and pillows yeah. on the floor because we didn't really plan ahead then. I wake up in the morning and go look, and Zach's cuddled up to a couch cushion, sleeping on his couch. And there's a mountain of – I had seven pillows on my bed. So there's six of them on the floor with a mountain of blankets because it's too hot in there. He's shivering, cuddled up with a couch cushion. And, and looking back on it, you know, this was like noon when we walked in and realized there was only one bed. So we should have planned ahead and not just – waited until well, maybe called and got a roll away or... it was night one we were gonna take it easy and get seriously back. Becky there's like probably there's, 10 different you know there's options there. but there's no options. we won't do any of those we'll I, just sleep on the floor when I got back at whatever time in the morning it was I called for pillows and a blanket and, and then I waited up for 40 minutes and they didn't show up so I called again and they said they'd be right up and another half hour later they were not up and I decided okay it's pretty sunny out now I should just go to sleep. Yeah. Meanwhile, I had two extra blankets and sheets sitting outside. I, and I didn't want to knock on the door and wake you up. Because <laughs> yeah. your friend had to interview Sonny Purdue in the morning. So yeah, I didn't want right. to wake you up. That's right. <laughs> well oiled machine. Yeah. <laughs> At least we know that you can operate. Right. <laughs>